part twenty five of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain part twenty five journey to the oasis of ammon part two on the morning of the seventh i went to see the ruins of the ancient arsenal it had been a very large city but nothing of it remained except high mounds of all sorts of rubbish the chief materials appear to have been burnt bricks there were many stone edifices and a great quantity of wrought granite in the present town of medinet i observed several fragments of granite columns and other pieces of sculpture of a most magnificent taste it is certainly strange that granite columns are only to be seen in this place and near the pyramids six miles distance among the ruins at arsenault i also observed various fragments of statues of granite well executed but much mutilated and it is my opinion that this town has been destroyed by violence and fire among the rubbish there are pieces of stones and glass which have evidently been nearly melted by fire it is clearly seen that the new town of medinet is built out of the old materials of arsenault as the fragments are to be met with in every part of the town the large blocks of stone have been diminished in their sides but enough is left to show the purposes for which they originally served about the centre of these ruins i made an excavation in an ancient reservoir which i found to be as deep as the bottom of the bar yosef and which was no doubt filled at the time of the inundations for the accommodation of the town there are other similar wells in these ruins which proves that this was the only mode they had of keeping water near them as the river is at some distance from the town among these mounds i found several specimens of glass of grecian manufacture and egyptian workmanship and it appears to me that this town must have been one of the first note in egypt having seen all i wished in that place i visited the obelisk which is too well known to require any more said about it i then prepared for my journey into the oasis on the west accordingly i went to see Husef bey who by this time had returned from cairo he was a native of circassia and bought at the usual market as a slave by the bashaw of egypt who after many years servitude made him bey or governor of the finest province of that country he was uncommonly civil and eager to know anything with which he was unacquainted but on my application for a bedouin guide to conduct me through the desert he said that the bedouins were all encamped in that part of the province which was subject to khalil bey at benizuf i was happy to hear that my old friend khalil bey was the person to whom i had to make my request and immediately inquired where the bedouins were encamped and on being told that they were about ten miles distant on the morning of the tenth i set off and reached the camp before noon but none of these people could inform me about the oasis on the west they all pointed towards the south indicating that the oasis were in that direction i saw that they meant the oasis of siud and maloni which are known by the name of the great oasis at last after much ado an old man told me that there was an eloa on the west of the lake maurice the very place i wished to go but that none of the bedouins would go there i inquired if any of them knew the road 
he said that he knew a sheik of theirs who lived in a camp at eight miles distance who had a daughter married to one of the sheiks of the eloi i was not a little pleased with this discovery and flattered myself that i would be able to persuade the said sheik to accompany me thither we remained all night at the camp and on the morning of the twelfth set off for the nile again we passed through several plantations of fruit trees and a great quantity of roses with which as i mentioned before they make the rose-water the cotton plant is quite abundant and figs are in such plenty that they dry them in the sun and send them to cairo it was quite night before we arrived at the banks of the nile and as no business could be done that evening i caused my saddle to be prepared for my bed and went to sleep i do not know to what cause it is to be attributed but i certainly slept more soundly on the banks of the nile or on the sands of the desert than i ever did in any other place and particularly under a roof early in the morning of the thirteenth i was awoke by the moorish hajj who told me with an air of surprise that a strange person was coming towards us he mistook him by fear and supposed that some thief was at hand i took up my arms but was soon undeceived when i saw an european who turned out to be the rev mr sloman a gentleman sixty-two years of age who for a walk had alighted from his kanjar and in spite of his years followed the tracks of celebrated travellers but who did not boast to his friends in england of his arduous task and consequently did not pass for a courageous and gallant adventurer this old reverend divine had the courage to go through all the lands in syria which travellers fancy wonderful difficult he never had an interpreter nor did he know a single word of arabic he encountered and overcame every difficulty he suffered much but never complained except of the ill-treatment he received from other travellers who were ashamed that a venerable old man of sixty-two should silently follow all their steps and think nothing of what he had undergone nor did he care whether any one ever knew anything about his journey he was then on his way to the second cataract and some time afterwards i had the pleasure of seeing him safe and well on his return from that place he was laughed at and even ill-treated by some person who deserves to be mentioned and who wished to be alone in travelling but as i said before i will not now enter into the particulars of the proceedings of some travellers in egypt as i mean to explain the whole facts in another volume the rev mr sloman proceeded on his journey and i went to see my good old friend khalil bey of esne who was now commander of the province of benizuf it happened to be after dinner when i called he was much pleased to see me and glad he had it in his power to serve me having informed him that i wished to penetrate into the western oasis he immediately sent agreeably to my request for the sheikh of the bedoweens he inquired after many things and in particular about the sulphur and emerald mines as he thought them extremely interesting to the treasury of the bashaw i remained with him the rest of the evening and promised to see him again the next day when i should see the sheikh of the bedoweens i went accordingly on the fourteenth but the sheikh did not arrive and i spent the whole day in the laborious task of idleness as the bey entered his harem after a certain hour i went to the coffee-house in the bazaar of the town the only place of amusement and in such cases one cannot help wishing for something to occupy the time 
these places are only frequented by the turkish soldiers for though a cup of coffee is only five paras little more than a halfpenny yet it is more than an arab can afford to pay as his general pay for a day's labour is only twenty paras three pence so that it is very seldom an arab is to be seen in these spendthrift places it is somewhat singular to observe that while these soldiers are drinking their coffee they assume the same airs and consequence as their bays abin bashe who is only in rank with a sergeant issues to the corporal the order he received from the kachef in the same tone as it was delivered to him the corporal does so to the soldier who occasionally passes it on to an arab in the same manner on the fifteenth the sheikh arrived and protested he was unable to show me the road to the place i wished to visit the bey insisted that he should find some one in his camp who knew the way which he of course promised to do it was agreed that i should meet the sheikh at a village at the foot of the desert where i was to meet sheikh grumar who would conduct me to the oasis i proposed to the sheikh that i should have a firman from the bey for the sheikhs of the oasis but he said it was unnecessary and made me understand that it was better to go without one as i should be accompanied by a man sent from the bey accordingly on the morning of the sixteenth we set off for the appointed village named sedman el jabal at the foot of the desert where the bedoweens were encamped i need not describe the ground we went over as it is pretty much like the rest of the fayum on my arrival i went to see the cacheff of the village where i also found the sheikh of the bedoweens and sheikh grumar waiting for us i had some little difficulty in persuading them to take only six camels as they feared we should not be able to carry enough of water but the great difficulty was that sheikh grumar who was to accompany us was afraid of ill consequences by taking us to the oasis as he assured me that no european had yet been there and that even very few of the bedoweens themselves travel to these places at all excepting when they go to purchase rice and dates but having surmounted all these little difficulties it was arranged that we should wait three days at the camp for the purpose of making provision for our journey and so forth the camp of the bedoweens was situated at the foot of the range of low mountains which formed the skirt of the desert see plate twenty five the chief had a large tent higher than the rest and was as great as a king among his own people i took up my residence directly before his tent and my moorish hajj with two shawls contrived to make a tent for me the mode of living of these people has been so often described that i conceive every one to be acquainted with it but as there may be some peculiarity in one tribe more than in another i shall insert what i have seen in that of sheikh grumar he was a tall stout man six feet three inches high with a countenance that bespoke a resolute mind and great eagerness after gain he preserved an air of superiority over his subalterns and what he ordered was instantly done without any hesitation he had two wives who agreed pretty well with each other and an old black slave by whom he had two fine children and who in consequence had as much power as the other two who were only somewhat fairer than herself their chief occupation was grinding corn and making butter their hand-mill was rather of a larger size than what is used by the arabs of egypt which proves their superior strength 
the flour is put into boiling water and by stirring it with a stick they make a large pudding it is then turned out upon a straw plate when a hole is made in the top and filled with butter this is their chief repast which is called ashid these people are now happier than they were a few years ago as mohammed ali has given them liberty to rent lands on the borders of the desert they do not trouble themselves about ploughing the ground for they find it more profitable to breed camels their greatest trouble is to break the straw to feed them when there is no pasture and this is done by a machine of five or six irons passing over the straw on the ground their horses are not in very good condition but they are very strong they often remove their camps into better situations but always far from any habitation at least a large village or town the women are covered with a thick woolen cloth made on the barbary coast and sold in cairo and other towns in egypt the men have generally a linen gown and a large woolen shawl which covers the whole person from head to foot they generally have a great many fleas i believe owing to the quantity of thick cloth they wear and even their tents are so infested that it is impossible to approach them without being molested during the time i was there i never slept a moment the first day of our arrival the people were rather shy in entering into conversation with us but when once they did begin they were continually inquiring of many things concerning our country and asking for trifling articles of little value at last after having provided bread for our journey and provisions for the camels we set off on the nineteenth and entered the desert in a western direction along the south side of the fayoum and after two hours march we passed near the ruins of an ancient village and in another hour and a half we reached a place called raji tutan the place of a very extensive ancient town i saw a great many blocks of calcareous stone with hieroglyphics and egyptian figures very finely executed and some pedestals of columns the chief materials were burnt bricks but i observed several pieces of granite and from their extent i have no doubt that this must have been a very large town in another hour after this we came to the ruins of another village named talat al hagar it is somewhat singular that this village is crowded with pedestals of columns which evidently have been taken from the large town and converted into millstones for grinding corn at sunset we reached a place called el karak a land quite detached from fayoum and which is watered by a branch of the canal or bar yusuf this place has a village of that name with several pieces of well-cultivated ground around it which produce dura and clover in the proper season the few people who live there are mostly of the labouring class who rent the place from the bay of the fayoum here we took in provisions for the camels and filled the skins with fresh water on the twentieth we advanced towards the west here the face of the earth is entirely changed we soon found ourselves among low rocks sandy hills and barren valleys at a few miles distant from our last place i observed the upper part of a very thick wall evidently as if it had surrounded a large town but entirely buried under the sand i should have taken it for a wall enclosing some cultivated spots of land had i not observed in the interior of it the upper part of other buildings and very thick walls of sunburnt bricks on the exterior of the wall i perceived a great quantity of stumps of trees and vines nearly burnt to ashes and which crumbled into dust as soon as touched 
this place is named the same as the one we left in the morning el karak we continued the remaining part of the forenoon through several valleys of rocks and banks of sand and towards evening we arrived at a spot parallel with the eastern extremity of the lake morris we passed the night at the bottom of a sandbank and at four o'clock on the morning of the twenty first continued our route the valley we were now in opened wider and in a few hours we came in sight of a high rock at a great distance from us we continued nearly the whole day in the said valley among rocks and sand and towards evening arrived at Regen el Kassar, a place once populated where there were several good spots of ground which had been once cultivated but now was nearly all covered up with sand it is surrounded by high rocks and this extent might have been about three miles square there is a great abundance of sunt and date trees which bear no fruit under the sand there is water to be found in great abundance for by only thrusting down a stick the water springs up there are the remains of the foundation of a small egyptian temple which has served as a burial place to people of later ages we passed the night very happily under the palm trees but unfortunately the water of this place was rather saltish otherwise it might invite a hermit to pass his days out of the busy world on the twenty-second we continued our route toward the west and had to pass over a very high bank of sand to leave Rejen al Kassar and reach a valley in which we continued travelling in that direction till we came to an open plain and a fine horizon before us i observed at a distance a spacious plain of sand and stones with several heaps above the rest on our approach i found that they were tumuli nearly in the form of a parallelogram from twenty to thirty feet long there were i believe nearly thirty and some of them i calculated were large enough to contain a hundred corpses and consequently altogether form a good number i must beg leave to make one observation on these tumuli which perhaps will give some idea to the learned as i hope my humble opinion will meet the approbation of some of them it will be recollected that cambyses after having conquered egypt sent part of his army to the conquest of the ammonii in the deserts of libya which was betrayed by their guides who were egyptians and left to perish in the desert and nothing more was heard of them it is the general opinion that the ammonii were in the western direction of the nile and it is well known that alexander employed only nine days on his visit to that place from alexandria consequently it is pretty clear that the ammonii were not in the southern oasis as it is supposed merely because it is stated by herodotus that cambyses sent his army into that place from thebes but by all other accounts it appears that they could not have been so far from the sea it is more probable that the army was sent from memphis and not from thebes which agrees with many other points in history for instance not only in the distance but also in the description of the western oasis and its temple i am now laying before my readers my own ideas which i formed in consequence of what i had seen and of the little calculation i could make from ancient history on the subject recollecting that the said army of cambyses had been lost in these deserts i have no hesitation in supposing that the above tumuli were made to cover the unfortunate wretches who perished no doubt from thirst 
the direction from memphis to these eloah either of siwa or el Katsar, is westward the situation where these people are stated to have perished is the desert of libya the tumuli are situated between memphis and the eloah in the desert of libya where there is no index to direct the stranger on his way if he is left by his guide nor even a stone or a shadow to shelter him from the sun a learned man wrote to me that these people could not be persians merely because it was not their custom or religion to cover the dead bodies but to leave them to the birds of prey consequently these could not be the army of cambyses but let this learned man recollect that independently of the points he has mentioned these people could not have been buried by their countrymen at all for it is natural to suppose that they did not know where they were otherwise there would be reason to believe that we should know something more of what became of them than the dry accounts given by herodotus that they were left to perish in these deserts it is therefore more reasonable to suppose that the remains of these wretches were accumulated by some other nation perhaps by the ammonii themselves though they protested they knew nothing of them and that the army never reached their country at any rate i should be happy to know who these people were and by what cause they came there if they are not the above people from the army of cambyses the calculation of the number could not have been made with accuracy in consequence of the different sizes of the tombs besides if these corpses were collected only when skeletons they would of course occupy much less space than when in flesh but notwithstanding all this uncertainty i have no hesitation in asserting that in those tumuli i saw there could have been buried three thousand people besides from the information i received from the bedouins i found that this was not the place where there were the greatest number and that at a little distance there were a great many of the same to which i could not persuade the bedouins to take me as they were afraid that our supply of water would fall short on the twenty-third we continued our journey to the west over a plain covered with pebbles of brown and black colours and so flat that in a few hours we found an horizon all around not unlike the sea we continued so the whole day on the twenty-fourth we went on and towards the evening reached bahar bellame where we saw high rocks on the west this place is singular and deserves the attention of the geographer as it is a dry river and has all the appearance of water having been in it the bank and the bottom are quite full of stones and sand there are several islands in the centre but the most remarkable circumstance is that at a certain height above the bank there is a mark evidently as if the water had reached so high the colour of the materials above that mark is also much lighter than those below and what would almost determine that there has been water there is that the island has the same mark and on the same level with that on the banks of the said dry river i am a little at a loss to know how the course of this river is so little known as i only found it marked near the lakes natron taking a direction of northwest and southeast which does not agree with its course there which is from north to south yet it has the same name and runs north and south as far as i could see from the summit of a high rock on the west side of it the arabs assured me that it ran a great way in both directions and that it is the same which passes near the lakes natron if this is the case it must pass right 
before the extremity of the lake maurice at two or three days journey distance in a western direction this is the place where several petrified stumps of trees are found and many pebbles with moving or quick water inside i saw about half a dozen of a flinty substance without veins of any sort on the morning of the twenty fifth we continued westward and passed several isolated rocks and sandbanks at noon we saw a high hill at a distance and soon after the guide pointed out the rocks of eloa in a few minutes after this we saw two crows which appeared to have come to meet us a sure sign that water is not far off for though these birds can travel both cheap and expeditious they generally keep near the water in those deserts in the afternoon we reached the brink of the eloa named el Kassar, a valley surrounded by high rocks which form a spacious plain of twelve or fourteen miles long and about six in breadth there is only a small portion of the valley cultivated on the opposite side which we reached and it can only be distinguished by the woods of palm trees which cover it the rest of the valley is wholly covered with tracts of sand but it is evidently seen that it has once been cultivated everywhere many tracts of sand are of a clayey substance which could be brought into use even now there are several small hills scattered about some with a natural spring on the top and covered with rushes and small plants we advanced towards a forest of date trees and before evening we reached within a mile of a village named zabu all of us exceedingly thirsty here we observed some cultivation several beds of rice and some sunt trees and so forth before the camels arrived they scented the water at some distance and as they had not drank since they left rajan they set off at full gallop and did not stop till they reached a rivulet which was quite sweet although the soil was almost impregnated with salt i observed here a great many wild birds particularly wild ducks in greater abundance than any other at this place we alighted for a moment to allow our camels to drink and i observed a certain uneasiness in the manner of sheikh grumar our guide that i could not account for he had often hinted to me whether i wished to pass for a mohammedan or christian but i always told him i could see no reason for disguising myself i went some distance from the camels to drink too and after having watered our camels we were about to proceed slowly towards the village but no sooner were we mounted than we heard a voice hallooing at us and at the same time a man rushed out of one of the bushes with a gun and put himself in an attitude as if to fire upon us his appearance was not very terrifying nor did his garments bespeak him to be a person of any consequence in that land he was not above four feet high of a chocolate colour most wretchedly ill-made and covered with a black woollen cloth sheikh grumar immediately dismounted and advanced towards the man speaking to him in a kind of arabic dialect which i found to be the dialect of the place the man soon recognized him and they approached each other in a friendly manner which gave me hopes that all would go on well at that place the man was anxious to learn who we were when our guide at once told him that we were people in search of old stones and that one of us was a hajj just returning from mecca this last assertion appeared to satisfy the man but he replied that no one ever came there to seek for old stones and that he did not know what the sheikhs of zabu the village would think of our coming there and that he was going to shoot me when i was drinking 
meanwhile we advanced towards the village and our guide contrived to persuade him that we were harmless franks meaning me and my sicilian servant he did not know of what tribe the franks were but said that their cady who had been once in cairo must know them all this was told us in arabic by our guide who continually kept inquiring about the health of such and such a sheikh and above all of the sheikh abrims his son-in-law the man began to walk before us and on our approaching the village he ran off as fast as he could into the wood of palm-trees we advanced and entered a lane among these plants and as we penetrated farther we entered a most beautiful place full of dates intermixed with other trees some in blossom and others in fruit there were apricots figs almonds plums and some grapes the apricots were in greater abundance than the rest and the figs were very fine the soil was covered with verdure of grass and rice and the whole formed a most pleasing recess particularly after the barren scenes of the desert on our approaching a wide place the guide halted and desired us to wait till he returned he walked on and i observed him go into a kind of habitation at some distance accordingly we waited there some time but in about half an hour i thought it rather strange that he did not return i inquired of the drivers where our guide had gone they told me they did not know at last i became tired of waiting and set off with my gun towards the place where i saw the guide enter but before i reached the place i heard the voices of men women and children and when i came nearer i saw a wall enclosing a great many houses and immediately within the gates there was a yard in which were assembled all the chiefs of the village and many others sitting on the ground debating whether or not we should be admitted and my guide very busy in persuading them that we were but harmless people and only come there to look after old stones on my arrival at the gate their whole attention was turned upon me and a perfect silence ensued i walked straight forward when they all rose and stared at me but from their countenances i saw they did not know what to say i went in among them and inquired who was their sheikh when my guide told me that three or four elders and a young man were the sheikhs of the place i saluted them freely and shook hands which they do not unlike the english manner i wished them prosperity i saw by their manner on this occasion that they were divided in opinion some received me with good humour and others retired murmuring something i could not learn at the moment they inquired what i wanted i told them i was a stranger merely come to visit that place as i expected to find some stones belonging to the holy mosque of my ancestors and hoped we should be friends at the same time i sent my guide to fetch the camels and on their arrival ordered coffee to be made i had a good mat and a new carpet which made a fine appearance i spread them by the side of the wall sat down and invited the sheikhs to come and sit near me at the same time i asked if i could procure a sheep at a cheap rate some of them cheerfully seated themselves on my mat but others kept at a distance frowning upon me which i pretended not to see the son-in-law of my guide approached and said he would sell me a sheep for a dollar which i accepted on condition that he would boil two large basins of rice in its broth i knew that rice was very cheap there and took that method to let them suppose i had not plenty of money but at the same time that i wished to make a feast with them 
by this time my sicilian servant and the hodge had made a large pot of coffee and become quite free with some of them in serving round the coffee i gave the preference of the first cups to the shakes and the sight of such a treat brought the other rusty fellows to sit down also and share the same dainty as they could not resist the attraction of a cup of coffee a luxury which they perhaps taste only once a year on the first day of the arrival of the caravan of bedoweens who come there for the purpose of carrying dates to cairo or alexandria by this means the wildest became more mild and seeing my indifference whether they were friends or not thought it would be more to their advantage to become social by this time the rest of the village had assembled cows camels sheep donkeys men women and children all staring in a semicircle as if i had come from the moon some of them had seen turks and other tribes of arabs but none had ever seen a frank or a christian before i produced a little good tobacco and having presented each of the sheikhs with a pipe we commenced smoking and talked of what i could see the next day they told me i could see nothing there but must go to the next eloa four days journey northwest where i would see something i was in search of no doubt they meant siwa which is also reckoned to be one of the oasis of the ammonii there is a temple there visited by messrs brown horniman and de Boudin. my guide told them several stories during this time wonderful indeed but one in particular that he and some of his companions had gone far to the south and met with a tribe quite different from us who walked like dogs and that the women fought against the other tribes these tribes said my guide are so far off that their berlad or village is very near the skies and that if i had time to walk to the top of a high hill i might touch it with my own hands the ideas of these people are that the sky and the earth meet at the horizon while all this was going on the other sheikhs held a consultation among themselves and appeared much concerned about my expressing an intention of visiting the country all around to see if i could meet with some old stones at this time three men brought some large wooden bowls filled with rice and having put one down to me they set the rest before the other people they all sat round theirs and i remained with my large portion by myself i immediately told them that unless all the sheikhs ate with me i would not taste it at which they were all much pleased and came to mess with me even the most rough among them came and dipped in the same bowl soon after a man came and threw a basket on the ground which raised such a dust that it covered our rice like sugar on cream as i could not conjecture i was anxious to know what was in the basket when one of the sheikhs opposite thrust his hand in and took out a piece of boiled mutton i had seen dinner served up in many ways but i never saw boiled mutton eaten out of a basket thrown on the ground in that manner the pieces were distributed and devoured we became more intimate after dinner as i found that an empty stomach makes a man angry as well as hungry but the fact is that strangers in these countries after having eaten together lay aside all enmity and sometimes become friends there is treachery it is true but after a person has eaten with a stranger in public he must at least play the part of a friend 
we had some more coffee and pipes and i again hinted about going to see the grounds the next morning and the son-in-law of my guide promised to conduct me anywhere i chose our conversation was in bad arabic as far as they liked to converse with me but amongst themselves they talked in another language in use in siwa it being rather dark by this time a wax candle was lighted which astonished them much and was handed all around for every one to see it i should not have mentioned this circumstance had it not appeared almost incredible that these people living only at the distance of a few days journey from the nile should never have seen a candle coffee being ended one of the sheikhs rose when the rest followed and without saying a single word walked off with the candle leaving me in the dark with my carpet and saddle to sleep on the camel drivers had brought all their provisions and so forth quite close to us and continued the old plan of keeping watch all night of two hours each End of part twenty five